Did you know that FreshBooks is the number two small business accounting software in America? Did you know that FreshBooks now does double entry accounting? Did you know that FreshBooks offers accuracy, compliance, tools, and reporting that you need to properly advise and work with your clients? Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, FreshBooks, later in the episode. They're going to expand parental leave from 8 to 12 weeks and double the number of free visits with a mental health professional from 6 to 12. I would question why it's necessary for them to have so many free visits to mental health professionals. Like, maybe that's the work environment <laughs> that's the problem, right? Like, but people have personal things that I can combine like, that, When you but... work at PwC, you really need to talk to a therapist at least once a month. <laughs> Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio, this is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Good morning, Blake. Our, our let's start recording on Fridays turned into a let's record on Saturday morning. <laughs> well, I wasn't feeling so great yesterday, so I'm glad we are recording on Friday. I'm still a yeah. little uh, stuffed up. I'm feeling a little of that too. I think it's the uh, all the trees in Arizona are yellow. It, it, it actually like there's so much flowers flying around. It looks like snow. It's like I cars know. are covered in it. You have to use your window wipers. It's crazy. Oh yeah, it fills up your pool, gunks it up. <laughs> so it's allergy season. So maybe people can detect that. Maybe you can edit it out later on if I sound a little wheezy. <laughs> That's how I kind of feel. Oh, what is going on this week? The big news of the week is Intuit has settled the lawsuit about its free file, uh, where not, not, how do we just say this? Well, should I use Intuit's words? Yes. On their website? Yes, please. Okay, so this is from the official Intuit blog. Today, Intuit entered into an agreement with the 50 state attorney generals and District of Columbia that resolved these agencies' inquiry related to our advertising practices for free tax preparation. As part of the agreement, Intuit admitted no wrongdoing and agreed to pay $141 million to put this matter behind it and made certain commitments regarding its advertising practices. Intuit already adheres to most of these advertising practices and expects minimal impact to its business from implementing the remaining changes going forward. Well, we can agree that $144 million is $141 million isn't much in the big scheme of things for Intuit when they make billions of dollars. So the financial impact is very limited. It's yeah. 4.4 million customers, according to the New York Times, that are going to get refunds. 4.4 million customers who were eligible for the IRS free file program, who were maneuvered to use TurboTax's free edition in the tax years 2016 through 2018, customers are going to be notified automatically and sent checks amounting to roughly $30 for each year that they were compelled to pay for TurboTax. Yeah. And Texas has the most customers, over 400, yeah, 460,000 customers in Texas are going to get their refunds. Yeah, so I, it's interesting because the fee is not much, right? In the grand scheme of Intuit, the oh, yeah. 41 yeah. million. But it's also a little like a free commercial because every attorney general in every state and every local newspaper all has, you know, the picture of their attorney general standing up there. Look at this. We got, they're all using it as a grandstanding, right? And the picture of TurboTax, like TurboTax is, it's like TurboTax got all this press. That's right. Because of this free press, like free, free for 160, 140 million. What was it? 140, 160. I forgot already. $141 million. Um, but yeah, every, you know, state attorney generals, we got two point, this uh, city of Colorado, 2.5 million back. Like every attorney general is mm-hmm. putting their little flag in the ground. Like, look what we did. Look what I did. Now, That's what happens when you're number one, right? You're going to have a target. We should say that Intuit did not admit wrongdoing as part of the settlement. You said that already? Yeah. And it and goes to this definition of a simple return. And at this point, does anybody have a simple return? Is it even possible? <laughs> well, not if you uh, bought crypto. <laughs> if you bought crypto or took out a student loan. Yeah. Or, or if you did the anything. Other 50 vices yeah. that are out well, there. There are actually a lot of people with simple returns. And yeah. there was a study that came out as reported in accounting today that said that nearly half of returns could be automatically populated. This is from the National Bureau of Economic Research. 
the researchers examined a random sample of 344,400 individual income tax returns for 2019 that was provided to them by the Statistics of Income Division at the IRS. And they checked those returns and figured out that 41% to 48% of returns could be automatically pre-populated and the tax liability calculated within a $100 tolerance threshold. Now, as income goes up, accuracy goes down. Those failures are driven by higher rates of itemized deductions, which cause a divergence between pre-populated and actual returns. But the pre-population would be really good, according to the researchers, for taxpayers who are young, single, and lack dependents. But in the 52 to 59% of cases where the pre-population is not accurate, the issue could be fixed with just one change or one additional schedule. So this is support for the idea that the IRS could build its own simple free file program where they take the information that comes from the employers and from all these third parties that issue you forms Instead of those parties sending you the forms directly and then you having to go and fill out your tax return, they're already sending them to the IRS in most cases. Yep. Like the W-2 information goes to the IRS, right? So the IRS could just put that onto a form on their website. You log in, you look at it, you add anything that's missing, and then file your taxes. Yeah. And I mean, in a way, like that's the simple return then. Yeah. Like, and, and so, that's, so that makes it very black and white. So even the third-party services could just go retrieve that for you and be like, hey, here's your simple return. Do you, and then ask more questions like, did you buy yeah. a house? Did you do this happen to you this year? And then yeah. if you say yes, well, guess what? You're not a simple return anymore. Now there's going to be a fee. Like, yeah, it could make it very black and white for everybody. Yeah, the solu- this is the solution to like the, the backlog. Part of the backlog in the IRS is you don't need so many people processing returns if the IRS is generating them for you and you just go ahead and, and accept and change it if you want to, right? Like, I don't know. It, this is how it's done in other countries. Like in uh, in Australia, I believe you just log in, and this is this is how it's done. You you the tax office, the tax administration, whatever it's called over there, fills out your return for you, and you. This is part of the American way. Like we decide how much taxes we get to pay. No, it's not (laughs) us. It's it's companies like Intuit and H and R Block, and all these other tax preparation companies that lobby Congress not to allow this to happen. And the whole IRS free file program was created, I think, as a way to avoid having to do this. Yeah. They created I the mean, free it file. They worked, the solution for sure. They worked with Congress to create the F- IRS free file program, which you know they would run. And then they deliberately misled all these people into using paid products. Like it's a lobbying thing. It's, you know, yeah. and they make billions of dollars from this. It's it's totally a scam on the American taxpayer, you know, the low income folks. Like so, it's just there's it's options. Just, there's other options. So Square announced their earnings in there's not a lot of stuff that's interesting there, but the part I found that was interesting, their earnings, you know, they launched their their tax filing in January because they bought the Credit Karma tax product from Intuit. They launched that. They had one point five million people do their taxes through Square's or now block blocks free taxes, right? Or oh. really I think well, it's they branded their cash they, app. Right, it's Brandon or right. Cash App. Right, they and can't call it Block. They can't call it Block because there was an injunction. That's true. They can't call it Block. So it's Cash App taxes, I guess, right? Yeah. Through the Cash App. And basically, the filers, you get your refunds directly deposited right to the Cash App platform, right? And so what they're finding, though, and this is a quote, unquote, this is from their uh, CFO. We found these filers were more engaged with the broader ecosystem. And this is that bigger play. And if you go to our conversation about the IRS, this holistic view. Right, like the person that files their taxes with Cash App probably buys Bitcoin with Cash App, and probably also has a Square Cash App card, and they spend that at Square Merchants, and and it's this big closing. Because and, and Intuit's building the same thing we talked about last week. That are you know they're tying their QuickBooks payroll back to their personal finance side and the bank account, and so there's there's a big it's that big ecosystem play is like where the mar- the people are mar- on the march with, and we even think about this like we talked about this last week. With firms, right? Like how you, everybody's trying to constantly chase new clients. But if you just build like an ecosystem to where your client mm-hmm. just buys lots of services from you, it's yeah. probably a lot easier, right? So you mentioned Block Inc. So I got to mention this injunction. H&R Block won an injunction against Jack Dorsey's Block Inc. 
It used to be called Square. Jack we Dorsey predicted this. It. We predicted this like yeah. within a uh, second it, of them changing I mean, the name. It's crazy. It's crazy that they even thought that they could like do this. I mean, <laughs> because H&R Block has used the term block by itself to describe their their products and services for years and years and years. And they've got all these trademarks on words that use the word block or phrases that use the word block. Yeah, so here's the injunction. Square, or Block Inc. now, can't use its new name in conjunction with its cash app taxes service and that app's green square logo. So they even, like Block even made a logo that's like a block and it's green, similar to H&R Block. <laughs> I wonder if they just like didn't care or they weren't even aware of it. Like, you know, I guess they probably just didn't care, right? Because they're so big. So... I, I think block. they don't care. They, they just probably yeah. don't care. In the yeah. same way, I remember when they first started in like the Visa C- CEOs and Mexico, like people were all upset, like, and all the big banks, you know, most far go, oh, that thing's going to cure this little gadget you stick on your phone. Like they used to really go after them hard. And now they're a serious player. And now they're probably maybe too big for their own britches, possibly. And they're just ignored, which what to everybody else is so obvious. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and I think that's how you know you're going to lose a copyright thing when it's so obvious to everybody else. <laughs> like, it's going to be a trademark issue. Uh, while we're on the subject of taxes, Chuck Reddick did a sit-down, long fireside chat with Mark Friedlich, who's the uh, vice president of U.S. government affairs at Walters Kluwer. And there's just some interesting quotes in here from the commissioner who is retiring from his role or leaving his role at the end of the year. This is a good one. He's, uh, Chuck Reddick said, it is inexcusable that the greatest country on the planet has an underfunded agency that interacts with more Americans than anyone else. 96% of the gross revenue of the United States of America flows through the IRS. In fiscal 2021, that number was $4.1 trillion, making the IRS successful in significant part helps this country be successful. And those aren't talking points. That's from the heart. And I believe that coming in, and I know that today. And for those who don't know Chuck Reddick, he's a practitioner. He's not, you know, a bureaucrat. He came in from outside to run the IRS. And I believe him when he says that. Everything that we have talked about, everything that we have learned over the last few years as we covered this IRS situation, it's so clear that they are horribly underfunded. And he said something else in the interview that was interesting. You know, he said they're, they've got this money now to hire 10,000 additional staff over the next year. And, the, and Congress gave them authority to skip the normal hiring process, which anyone who's gone through that knows that it takes a long time to get hired by the federal government, like months and months and months. And so they can hire directly. They don't have to go through the traditional channels. But even then... With the funding they have, they're only able to pay fifteen to seventeen dollars per hour. Yeah. So they're competing with Amazon. You know, they're competing with yeah. Walmart and Target, who have also announced aggressive hiring initiatives. So, like the funding they've got to increase the personnel to handle the backlog of paper returns is not. They're not going to be able to fill the positions because it's not enough funding. Yeah, and will they be able to keep these people and stuff like that? And you know, and they still don't have the long-term funding that they need to increase uh, services and do the technological improvement. And we've also talked about how it's not fair to ask them, in my opinion, it's not fair to ask them to modernize the technology when they don't have the personnel. Like you, you, you have to build capacity first so that they're not overwhelmed, and then you do the technological improvement. And I, I'm that's really the same excited. problem in firms too. So next week we're going to Accounting Web. Actually, by the time you listen to this, we may have already been at Accounting Web, but we're going to interview two people that work for the IRS. I'm excited. Who who are we going to talk to? So the the two gentlemen. It's uh, Jim Robnett. He's the Deputy Chief of Criminal Investigations at the IRS, and the uh, other one is Darren Gillo G U I L L O T or Gillot. Um, he's the Commissioner of the Small Business Self Employed Division and Collections at the IRS. And I think if I remember on his bio, he leads 10,000 employees at the IRS. All right. So we'll, we'll so, get to dig in a little bit and understand kind of the pains maybe he's having as a manager yeah. of his staff, right? This, I'm, I'm, this is exciting because like we talk about the IRS a lot and it's yeah. nice to finally talk to somebody at the IRS. 
So somebody in criminal investigations and somebody in the small business self-employed division. So we have to do a Twitter survey, David. You got to ask tax Twitter what we should ask these guys, because uh, this episode that we're recording now isn't going to come out until after we do the interview at Accounting Web. Okay, so I we, can do something. Let's, let's start some on, questions. On Twitter, just like we should ask. Yeah. Um, because I think if I remember on um, Darren's, uh, he's been in the IRS for a very long time. If I remember looking at his, uh, he's had many positions at the IRS. So it'll just be mm-hmm. really pull back the covers a little bit. Yeah. He knew he's legit because he wears a bow tie in his uh, photo <laughs> in front of the flag there. His, his bow tie? Like his official, it's probably his official like employment photo in front of the American flag. He's got a bow tie. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Canopy. Accounting practice management software should bring together all your firm's mission-critical functions in one place. Client management, document management, workflow, time and billing, and payments to keep your team organized. Canopy knows that not all firms are on the same practice management journey or timeline, so Canopy lets you build your practice management platform as you need it. You start with client management as your foundation, then you choose the modules that your firm needs. And since nobody likes paying for modules they don't use, they offer modular pricing as well. Canopy integrates with QuickBooks Online, Xero, FreshBooks, CRMs, form builders, spreadsheets, calendars, email, and Zapier. They have a mobile app, centralized file management, fillable PDFs, a client portal, task management, and the list goes on and on. Via their integration with the IRS, you can easily retrieve all your clients' transcripts, notices, and child tax care credit payments without leaving Canopy. To try Canopy free for 30 days, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Canopy. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-A-N-O-P-Y. Well, while we're talking about the IRS, I'm just going to get all my news there. We got a follow-up item. It was a while ago. Remember we talked about American Express and their sales pitch? That yeah, like you could pay a bill with American Express. And because of that, you, we, American Express will give you a rebate. Yeah, yeah. So American Express got in trouble because a while ago, a few years ago, they started telling business owners that you could pay your bills with American Express and then transfer your points from your business card to your personal card and cash them out as cash and thus escape taxation on those rewards. And they were doing it so much that it caught the attention of, uh, I don't remember who revealed it. I think it they or, were or, using or, verbiage like that, right? Like escape taxation, avoid taxes. Yeah, it, they, were, they were flat out saying that straight black and white. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it was a whistleblower. I can't remember. But they got in trouble for that. And then a bunch of people got fired at Amex for doing this. And Amex said, we're not going to do this anymore. Well, you know, the dominoes are still falling. The IRS announced that it is investigating American Express for this questionable tax break that it pitched to clients. The civil investigation has been underway for a few months, according to people that spoke to the Wall Street Journal. And yeah, like that's that's the news. It's just they're under investigation. So unfortunately, you know, maybe those clients of American Express or those customers are going to end up getting audited. Because, like, if I were the IRS, I would, you know, I wanted to go find some of this money. Some so of these, the IRS uh, took, like, took take some, the customer some, list. somebody in their staff and said, hey, go track down all the people. That, I don't know. I, I still see the audits happening. Like, I think you're being very hopeful on this. We'll see. I mean, we, you know what? We can talk to we that can ask guy. Them, are you going to go after Web? the Amex people? We can specifically yeah. ask that. Okay. Yeah, I want to know, that. like, how do, how do they decide with the limited resources they have, how do they decide who to go after? In yeah. the criminal investigations unit, right? Like, how do you know where to spend your time? I'd be curious to know how they make that decision. I have news about two different firms. Do you want to talk about a billion dollars or free? A billion dollars or free? Yeah. Wait, they have two in stores. what context? They're, they're not related to each other I, at all. I just... Okay. Well, I like money. Okay. So I'm going to say a billion dollars. So let's talk about that one first. So I don't know if you saw this. Markham is going to merge with Friedman and... Form basically a billion dollar annual revenue accounting firm with 3,400 associates. So Markham's number 15 of the top, mm-hmm. top 100 list. Uh, Friedman is number 33. So Friedman has 100 partners, 760 employees, and they're merging into Markham with their 370 empl- partners and 2,500 employees. And I guess if you were number 101 on the top accounting list, now you're a top 100 firm. You've just moved up because these two are going to merge this summer. So this is going to close <laughs> out in the summer. 
So it's another billion dollar accounting firm here. And then on the free side, uh, I just picked up this story. There's a bookkeeping service called Clean Books, clean with a K, Clean Books. They offer bookkeeping services, right? And even though they they go on to say like their primary focus is remote online bookkeeping, they also support personal tax returns, business formation, financial planning. It's really a holistic everything, right? Counts payable, mm-hmm. payroll, etc. But what they're offering is a hundred percent free service for thirty days for new businesses. So you come on, you don't even have to give them your credit card. They'll do your bookkeeping for thirty days. That sounds like a disaster waiting to happen. <laughs> I don't know. That's what caught my eye. It was like, has anybody else have any, any of our listeners try this before? I mean, it's, it goes right back to free, free. Right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I suppose you could do it if you if you had like an understanding of what your churn is going to be in those first thirty days. But you better be really confident in your ability to re- retain and convert those folks. Because then they then they do have monthly subscription, you know. After yeah. that, uh, it starts at like two hundred ninety bucks a month or something. And they have a secondary, slightly bigger plan, but you know. And they also actually at their one hundred eighty nine month plan, they include a personal tax return at no extra cost. So, so, so what's the firm called? It's called Clean Books. Clean Books is it like cleanbooks.com. That's right, with a K. But anyways, the point is, I just saw that you know they're offering bookkeeping services for free, free, yeah. free, 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 free. Well. Um, you mentioned Markham and Friedman are merging to create a $1 billion mega firm. But let's put this in context. Everything after the big four is tiny compared to the big four. <laughs> yeah. Right? So PwC revenue is so you're 45. You're saying they should not be using the word mega firm? Like <laughs> well, it's, it's just funny because like you, ha- you always have to remember just how massive the big four are. Yeah. So when you type in PwC revenue into Google, you get 45 billion US dollars. So think about that. Yeah, it's 45 you know. mega firms. Right. So why did I bring that up? It's because PW, PwC US just announced a $2.4 billion employee investment. They do this every now and then, you know, get a, a big press release about how much money they're going to spend on their employees and it goes into accounting today and they do some sort of interview and, you know, Blah, blah, blah. So the announcement here is uh, they have created something called My Plus, a new three-year, $2.4 billion program to overhaul employees' benefits and professional experience on Friday. I just want to read to you the, the, the press release language or okay. the, the PR speak. The move would prepare PwC for a future where our people make customer-like choices supported by consumer-grade technology to build a personalized experience at every stage of their career with the ability to continually make adjustments as their lives evolve. Does it have like a sentence using AI in the blockchain (laughs) too? So, so an automation, I mean, it it gets better, right? Okay. Catherine Kaminsky, vice chair and trust solutions co-leader at PwC us tells accounting today, the pandemic has changed the wants and needs of our people. And we want to meet them where they are. We are reimagining a future that has personalization that puts our people's individual needs and well-being front and center by making the largest investment a professional services firm to date has made in its people, all supported by easy-to-use technology. They can expand how flexibly they work, picking when, where, and how they work. And our people can focus on development and upskilling through opportunities to grow, practice, and learn new skills and work on different teams and assignments. Like, What does that actually mean? But some of the things they're doing is real, right? Some of the things they listed is real, right? There's more in mental health days or more, like there's some benefits in there, right? For It's just why so wrap it in with all this crazy talk? I don't know. Here's the four areas, right? Okay. Well-being. So this is the option to choose in-person, virtual, and hybrid roles and or expanded options for reduced schedules, paid leaves of absence, and the potential to work from anywhere, even internationally. So, so basically so flexibility. Cool if, yeah, but it's, yeah, flexible flexible work arrangements. Okay. They're going to shut down the firm for two weeks every year, once in July, once in December. Then they're going to do some sort of benefits portal, it sounds like. But I mean, uh, they're going to expand parental leave from eight to 12 weeks and double the number of free visits with a mental health professional from six to 12. I would question why it's necessary for them to have so many free visits to mental health professionals. Like maybe that's the work environment <laughs> that's the problem, right? Like but people have personal things that they can you know, combine. Like, that, when you but... work at PwC, you really need to talk to a therapist at least once a month. <laughs> um, they're going to have a 
simplified tech-enabled personalized learning platform, whatever that means for modern skill set building. And then they're going to help staff members pursue career paths that support, quote, well-being, development, sense of purpose, and ambitions, whether that's inside or outside our firm. Like, what, is it, what does any of this actually mean, you know? And I think the cynical take is that it's a way to say that we're doing something without actually just raising compensation. Because notice how, like, compensation is not in here at all, right? Yeah, and, it's part of the total compensation path. But you're not saying, hey, we're going to offer the ability to become partner faster or options or new ownership model or anything like that. The funny thing yeah. is that I, I just noticed, um, now that I'm going back, I pulled this article up, I was waiting, is they're calling it My Plus. Yeah. So everybody, that's what everybody does now. It's Disney Plus, it's this plus, it's this plus, everything. We should have Cloud Accounting Podcast Plus, like some service, earmark plus. But, you know, all the big firms are doing this because remember KPMG launched their accounting plus in Canada. So uh-huh. they have KPMG Spark here, you know, in the US, but then Canada, they did their cloud accounting cast stack and they're calling it accounting plus. Now you have my plus here at KP, at uh, PwC. Like, so it's kind of interesting where this, uh, who's the next, the other two have got to use plus now on something. So the one thing I think they're doing right here is offering flexible work arrangements, remote work. I think you have to do that these days. But like the thing they're missing is uh, that the big problem with retention in accounting is too many hours for too little pay. It's very simple. And none of this talks about reduced actual work. That's the, the overwork in accounting is why people are avoiding the profession. And it's why they're leaving the profession and you're not getting paid enough for it. It's kind of amazing to think that so many jobs now have overtime protections, right? Over the last hundred years, we have changed work so that in this country, so that, you know, many, many professionals, many jobs, except professionals actually, you know, get overtime wage protections and stuff. But for some reason, accounting is excluded from that, right? We're professionals. So we, we don't get the benefit of, of those labor laws. I mean, it seems kind of like a, it's crazy when you think that, you know, most like starting salaries for accountants can be like forty to $60,000 a year, which is not that much. It's no. not like, like that doesn't make me think professional salary, right? So, you know, I just, I don't know what to say. Like that's until we fix that problem. You know, you're not going to, it's all just, uh, I mean, they're trying, you know, icing. I mean, they're, they're trying, and, and but they're think, not really trying. They don't want to raise the wages. Yeah. That's what they, that's, they're doing everything they can. Well, they are. They're going to raise, raise $160 million wages. in salaries. Right. But you spread that over 40,000 people and it's not that meaningful a difference. That's just like keeping up with inflation. Right. Yeah. So, and that's the same thing KPMG did. They made this big announcement and then we calculated it and I'm like, well, it's not keeping up with inflation. So, and that's the problem with accounting. It's not that like wages have dropped, it's just they've stagnated. And then you take into account inflation and, and they, the real purchasing power of a staff accountant has dropped dramatically over the last, you know, 10 years, 20 years. Yeah. So another big merger happened recently. It was BKD merging with DHG. And instead of becoming BKDHG, they wisely decided to rebrand. But I'm, I'm not totally... I'm not totally sure if they chose the right name. So the name they went with is, is Forvis, F-O-R-V-I-S, a combination of the words forward and vision. And Going Concern had a, had a great uh, take on this. Forvis, yes. Which kind of makes me think of like, like a robot butler, you know? Like, <laughs> Forvis, bring me my Forvis. coffee. <laughs> yeah, bring me my coffee, right? Like, Forvis, play the cloud accounting podcast. <laughs> Yeah, or Mavis, you know, the name Mavis. Mavis, yeah. Mavis it sounds like a little typing. bit. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Jason Bramwell over at Going Concern had a, a few ideas uh, for alternative names for the next merger of a big firm that, that doesn't have a good name itself. Uh, Synergy, combination of synergy and leverage. And Agile, a combination of engage and Agile. Interrupter, innovative and disruptor. Pivoptimize. Pivot and optimize. Uh, Scaladim, scalable and paradigm. Oh, that would be paradigm, scalatum. And then uh, holtuitive, holistic and intuitive. So I think Synergy is actually, you know, might be better than Forvis. Have you seen all the memes going around, you know, like Elon Musk bought blah, 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 right? 
Well, I saw one that said Elon Musk bought BDO and RSM, and he's, they're going to combine the name to BDSM. <laughs> BDSM? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it was total myth. I thought that was pretty funny. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by FreshBooks. For those of you that know Twyla Verhelst from her video per day experiment on Twitter, you remember the one where she encouraged hundreds of accountants and bookkeepers to get out of their shells and post videos on social media? If you do remember, you'll probably agree when I say Twyla is about community building. Now Twyla and her team are building FreshBooks exclusive online accounting partner community. Be it sharing experiences, venting with peers, collaborating, ideating, supporting and elevating others, I like to define community as conversations. And nothing beats a face-to-face conversation at a conference. In fact, Twyla is going to be at AICPA Engage 2022. And if you find her and have a conversation and tell her what community means to you, she'll give you a sweet FreshBooks hoodie and I'll toss in a Cloud Accounting Podcast shirt. If you want to learn more about the benefits of working better together with FreshBooks, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash FreshBooks. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash F-R-E-S-H-B-O-O-K-S. FreshBooks, work better together. Uh, more big four news. I'm just going to get this stuff off my chest now. Uh, remember the KPMG cheating scandal? Where they were cheating on their ethics exams? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, for five years, KPMG partners and staff around the world cheated on courses that covered independence, audit, and accounting rules until early 2020. It involved 18 partners and more than than 1,100 staff at the firm. And the PCAOB issued a report in September and fined them $450,000 over the behavior. I guess this was in Australia. I don't know if it was worldwide. Yeah, I think it was was in Australia. Yeah. Well... The Chartered Accountants ANZ group has ruled that only 12 of the 422 members from KPMG who took part in the st- systemic exam cheating will be put through the professional body's individual disciplinary process. Only 12 out of 422 cheaters are going to get disciplined. Because the other ones I just were just like, well, they started it, so we just went along with it, which is almost the worst kind of guilt, you know? Like, I mean, like apathy. You know, like, we're. They cheated first, so I guess it's okay for us. Ethics are core to the audit profession, (laughs) and we're only going to discipline 12 out of the 488, you know? Like, it's 2.5%. Yeah. You wonder why why people have lost faith in audits, right? Why audits have lost value. And the brand, right? If everybody's worried about the brand, CPA brand, I'm like, well. You can just go shop for an audit, you know, these days. Just, like, shop around for an audit. Just get the audit. You can't get the audit opinion from one firm. Go get it from another firm. Every audit opinion is the same now. Investors don't care. You know, maybe not like they used to, I don't think. So you want to stay on top 100 news since we're... Yeah, sure. All right. Uh, so remember that firm Prager Metis? They bought their building in the metaverse? Yes, and they bid, did a big press announcement. Big press announcement. They spent, well, what, like tens of thousands of dollars? The still going on. So Jerry Eitel, E-I-T-E-L, he's the chief metaverse officer at Top 100 firm, Prater Metis, he joined the Accounting Today podcast and talked about the metaverse and them doing this. And we'll put a link in the show notes like, and go listen to this podcast. Because the whole time I'm listening to it, I was like, there's no way all the partners were on board on this. There's no way. Is it actually, com- it comes off as a little crazy. It's like any other real estate. So we had to go buy the land. So to buy the land, you know, remember, I'm a, I'm a novice. So I have to. I go to Coinbase. I transfer to a, you know. You have to. You have to buy the, the the currency to buy the land, and then you have to hire an, a kind of a designer to design the building on the land. But the land itself does have value. Like I, I got to go listen to this because he, he, he he's just so like well of course just like real land, people are going to develop the land and somebody's going to move in next to you. Then your build your house is going to be worth more. So you could buy a lot of land and you could develop some of that land and then somebody moves next to you and all of a sudden your value of your land can go up. So it's, it, it, there is a, quite a, there is an investment opportunity in this land. And like, it's just, it's a little batshit crazy from like a partner to firm, right? But like, like in my theory, like you would, you just have like 
some junior person go do this. Like, hey, mm-hmm. here's some money. Go play around in this universe. See what happens. But this is like a partner. Like, I don't know. He did say that he had to buy the land, though, with his own money first. Remember, I, as crazy as it sounds, I personally bought the land that Absolute Land is on. I personally <laughs> went to my wallet. I purchased the land. So, I mean, that's how that's how crazy this thing is. <laughs> So I don't know if he sold it back or if it's just this is his oh, whole so experiment went, of his he own. Went and he, he went and he did this and then he got the firm to reimburse him for it. It's not really clear on that either. But I just, no. just it's worth listening to because it's just like yeah. I, well, the whole maybe, time I'm hey, listening to it, I'm like, how is this possible? Like who was on board on this? It seems it does seem very far fetched in it. Crazy. So I, I have opinions on the metaverse, David, as somebody who's experiencing it firsthand because my son is obsessed with Roblox right now. Yeah. So Roblox is a company that makes a video game where you can make, it's like a platform for video games. Like think of Minecraft, right? The 3D world, kind of low res graphics. It it really reminds me of like the games that like I used to play as a kid. Like it's not super sophisticated graphics, but it's a platform and anyone can go and make a game in Roblox using their platform and it's a 3D world. Yeah, yeah, I think it kind of leveled up because oh, the, the beauty of Minecraft is kids could get in there and do anything they wanted. They could build anything they want in their world. but like, And then Roblox took it to that next level where you almost have like a character or avatar that can jump in other people's games and it's sub-worlds within the worlds. And, and it's got its own programming language. So not yeah. only can you build a world, but you can design games inside of it. So like, for instance, uh, you can play a Hospital and yeah. you can have different roles. Like one person can be the patient, one person can be the doctor. And it, it's like, Think about how when you were a kid, you played pretend. Well, now these kids can play pretend in the metaverse. And this is attracting kids from 7 to 14. This is that. that and like, then it's a platform people pay money. Like developers make money. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like you can make a lot of money. If you make a good game, people will pay to access it or pay for in-app purchases. And that's how they make all their money is the kids just blowing up your credit card, buying stupid things in the metaverse. Uh, but anyway, the reason this ties into the metaverse is because like, I think I think the metaverse will be big. Virtual reality will be big because the kids now are getting conditioned to play in it. And so in a way that we never were, they're going to be very comfortable in virtual environments. And so like long term, I'm very bullish on this. Now, VR equipment has to get a lot better before it becomes comfortable, right? Right now, if you buy an Oculus headset, which I bought, uh, to try it out. It's very heavy. You can only wear it for a short amount of time. The resolution is low. You're looking through goggles. So it's like looking through swim goggles at everything, right? Yeah. And and so it's not the ideal experience. But long term, that's all going to get fixed, right? They're going to figure out how to make these things like glasses that you wear, like normal glasses eventually. And a bridge to that could be augmented reality. And there was a story in the Wall Street Journal about a company that's been around for a while called Magic Leap. Do you remember Magic Leap? Magic Leap. I'm going to Google this. Yeah. So they were one of these hot, hot startups that was making, I think it was like a bar that you would put in front of your screen on your desk and you could control the screen with your hands. And that never went anywhere. It didn't really work. But they had a lot of investment and they kept building augmented reality type products. And they've got one right now that is a headset. It's like glasses that you wear. That It doesn't block out the rest of the world, but it allows developers to layer on top of what you see a virtual reality. So it's a combination of your real reality and, and a virtual reality, and that's called augmented reality. And if you ever played Pokemon Go, that's augmented reality, where you're seeing the real world through your, your phone, and then there's a game going on, you, you know, on top of your real world. And this is something that could end up being big because imagine this solves a lot of the remote work issues because instead of going on a Zoom call, I could put on my augmented reality glasses, which aren't big and bulky at some point, and I could sit across the table from you. So I'm sitting in my own office and there's a hologram of you right there across the table. See, like, this actually... is where I think this whole work thing's wrong. Like, like I think the reason people like working from home is so they don't have to fucking see their coworkers. 
Well, <laughs> they don't have to go to meetings. Like that's what's like, I, I don't think people actually want this. I think they would rather go to the office and do this face to face than try to put on some technology. Cause the joy of working from home is like, yeah, I got this freedom. I don't have to interact. But, right. The hassle. Well, but, but that's actually, I've got some data here, but these like, these look like more like steampunk style goggles. I'm looking at these and they have a bunch of cameras on them. They're, they're definitely yeah, not I mean, as big. They're big and bulky and you got to wear the computer on your arm, you know, and it's not like right now the applications are medical. If you're a robotic surgeon, for instance, you, which they're already using screens to like do surgery with like robotic instruments. This way they could wear the glasses and they could see it in 3D. Yeah. Like manufacturing, so like, like I could see where this makes sense, right? Manufacturing, you're assembling something and you don't yeah. have to turn well, your head to look up the instructions. Like you're putting together your Ikea desk and the instructions are right there as you're putting in the screw. Like, or, or imagine in accounting, let's say you're doing an inventory audit and you put on these augmented reality glasses and you walk around the warehouse and you can see what's inside of each box or you can, you it pulls from the ERP system like you just look at a box and it scans the barcode and it tells you what's in there or what should be in there. Yeah. You know, like stuff like that is really cool. Or actually, uh, my ideal situation is you wear the augmented reality glasses and then you're at a conference and it scans people's faces and tells you their name. <laughs> this is where we're at. We're right back yeah, to that. I mean, I, I would pay for that. Efficient. Just that. Just that alone. Remind me. Well, get on eBay and order yourself some of those Google glasses and you can wear those at a conference. Yeah, that's right. But they don't, I don't know if they do that yet. They should. I think it does. That was its only use case. <laughs> so, so you're right. I, well, you're, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. Okay, about you said you have data. Room. You said you have data. Okay. Well, so younger workers in particular are losing out by not going to the office. Business experts say, this is a CNBC article that was like back in January when people were, you know, still more concerned about remote work because pandemic, right? You know, like it's, it's full of quotes from, you know, people who are like, we have to go back to the office, like AOL CEO, Tim Armstrong. He said, if I had one piece of advice for younger people in their thirties, go back to work. Even if your company doesn't let you come back, create your own working environment and invite some people over. And JP Morgan Chase CEO, Jamie Dimon said that working remotely, quote, does not work for young people or quote, those who want to hustle, unquote. You know, and, and like, I get it. I get it because there are things that are hard to learn remotely, but I think those can eventually be overcome. Like, and that's what the augmented reality could do is instead of having to drive to the office, you could be there in a place that feels like you're with other people, even if you're at home, the best of both worlds. Right. And here's the, here's the stat. So PwC did a study of 1200 us workers at the start of 2021 and found that 34% of respondents with less than five years of work experience were more likely to feel less productive while working remotely compared to 23% of all survey respondents. So if you're younger, you're a lot more likely to feel less productive, which makes sense. Feel less productive, but it could be because you've never experienced the office where you're like, I'm zero productive in the office and I'm more productive at home. (laughs) Now, now what's funny is if you- What are they basing it against? Just their feeling. it's, It's their feeling. Yeah. Right? And it's funny because, so, so, you know, it's how they feel about it. They feel less productive. A third of young workers feel yeah. less productive. But what's funny is if you invert that statistic, that means that two thirds of young workers feel more productive working from home than yeah. in the office. Or it could just be they had no opinion or. Yeah. Now, a different poll of more than 500 college students and recent grads from July from Generation Lab, they track youth trends. They found that 40% of college students and recent grads prefer completely in-person work. 40%. So there is a big chunk that does want to be in person. And, and here's the important stat. In the same poll, 74%, three-fourths, three-quarters of respondents said they miss having an office community while working remotely, while others listed mentoring and in-person manager feedback as unique benefits of going into the office. Yeah. So, so these are the things that we have to overcome, especially when it comes to new employees, younger employees, when it comes to working remotely. And that's why... When I talk to firms, a lot of the ones that are having success working remotely, they don't have entry-level staff. They only hire experienced staff because those are the people who have learned what they needed to learn in the office, and now they can go remote. They they need that guidance. So that might be a way to do this is have an office, and that's where you train your younger people. And then once you've been in there for a certain amount of time, you can earn remote work. Yeah. Right. But the key is you got to keep paying them 
<laughs> their market rate. You can't do what this one law firm did and they got a headline out of it. This law firm in the UK said that their employees can work from home full time, but on the condition that they take a 20% pay cut. <laughs> it's, it's Stevenson Harwood in London. They offered its employees a, a hybrid model also. If, but if you want to go fully remote, you got to take a 20% pay cut. I mean, I think that's just... I, I think it's insane because in theory, you're going to save money by not having to rent this big an office. Like, I, I think, yeah, that, that game's kind of ridiculous. And, and all the big employees. tech companies tried to pull it here, right? Early on in the yeah. pandemic. Well, but I haven't heard anything about that recently. So I wonder if they've pulled back from that. You know, yeah, a lot because of them, nobody, people were just quitting going into other jobs. Like you just, yeah. you can't afford to lose any bodies. Yeah. Right now. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Relay Financial. For those listeners that haven't been following along with my drama caused by PNC when they purchased BBVA and botched the migration, to quickly summarize, PNC bank feeds wouldn't work with QuickBooks Online, the website had all my old BBV transactions just listed as debits and credits with no vendors or payees, and to top it all off, the June bank statement was just missing, like June never happened. Let's just say my 2021 books were a mess. So for 2022, I made the commitment to stop using PNC and switch everything to Relay. Relay is a no-fee online banking platform built for you and your small business clients. Relay understands and solves all the things we as accountants and bookkeepers care about. Security, bank feeds, automation, reconciliation. I invited both my interns to my Relay account. They created their own user ideas and passwords. And within minutes, they were using Relay to create virtual debit cards, physical debit cards, download statements, and reconciling. Now, the bank feeds on my QuickBooks Online are reliable and my 2022 books are in order. To stop fighting with an unreliable bank that doesn't care about you or your small business clients, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash relay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash R-E-L-A-Y. So um, here's another Going Concern article. I love this stuff. Uh, They found a tweet. Uh, The headline of the Going Concern article is, Back in my day, accountants had to walk uphill both ways in the hot sun to get to work, says crotchety old British guy. (laughs) And uh, it's just basically a a repost of a tweet from a Twitter user named Lord Sugar. Is that really his name? I mean, he's in the UK, right? Is he actually... Could be, could be. He's the chairman of the Omshold Group. (laughs) Oh, wait. Wait, wait, hold on a second. So, Lord, Lord Sugar. This guy was at QuickBooks Connect, maybe. Really? Is it Alan Sugar? Alan, yeah, and he goes yeah, by he's Lord like Sugar. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, he's um. Do you think what, his girlfriends call him Sugar Daddy? He, he's the the Apprentice guy. He's like the Trump. Is he on the Trump of, like, of the UK? He yeah, oh, he was really? a QuickBooks Connect in the UK. Yeah. Okay. Well, he said he's a real deal. So, in response to a Telegraph post about how PwC told its accountants that they can take Friday afternoons off all summer, Lord Sugar wrote, "This is a bloody joke." The lazy gits make me sick. Call me old-fashioned, but all this work-from-home BS is a total joke. There is no way people work as hard or productive as when they had to turn up at a work location. The pandemic has had long-lasting negative effect. But all the evidence to the contrary, right? All the evidence is to the contrary, that people are more productive when they work from home. Yeah. It's just, it's like, and I feel like there's probably a lot of partners at firms that are older, they just cannot handle it. They cannot get the, even all the evidence. They can't do it. it it's, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to get old, but <laughs> uh, there's a thing everybody should watch on Netflix. So Chris Maskey, his, uh, his website is. I bought next Netflix shares. So I want everybody to watch. Netflix. Watch the show. So, yes, so I like this story. So, so he wrote a blog post about, how a good accountant would have saved, quoting bad vegan, Sarman Melagon, Mel, Melgalius, maybe is her last name? Her I, first uh, name, Sarma. To make I have no idea what us. you were saying. That was all nonsense. M-E-L-N-G-A-I-L-I-S. Anyways, long story short, I was never going to watch this documentary on Netflix. But Chris wrote a blog post about how if she would have had an accountant, all this fraud, all, none of this would have happened. Wait, what, what is this documentary? The documentary is a four-part series. She had the hottest vegan like restaurant in New York City. You know, like all the celebrities went there. You know, it's like a lasagna, which is like 
you know, cucumber sliced between slices of tomato. You know what I mean? Like all mm-hmm. vegetarian. I think it was bringing in $7 million a year in revenue. She was this darling. She met a guy on Twitter and started playing words with friends with him. <laughs> Minds up marrying this guy. And she starts wiring him money. Wiring him money. Him money. And to the tune, by the time it's all said and done, it's pushing almost six and a half million dollars that they've, and then she got a money and then she can't make payroll. So then she's like, she goes to investors and gets some more money and no accountant ever like hit the brakes on this. Like where were the accountants in this story? And, and he just brings this up. They're not in the credits. They're not anywhere in the story. It's worth watching this. So she had a business, a successful vegan restaurant. She meets a guy on words with friends. Who's a scammer? Who's who's a, he's a habitual gambler essentially. Essentially, I don't okay. want to like spoil so two things, but she falls in love with him and starts sending him money, and it gets out of control. And she's using company funds. Well, yeah, so she would take money out of the company and then send this, oh. and then it just. How long did it go on for? Does it say? Um, six years, maybe. Six years, and they were were they audited, or is this you know, or maybe they weren't audited? Well, that's what doesn't make any. Yeah, the way the. You know, they they take control and new investors. It closed down. Then they got new investors to reopen the restaurant. Employees didn't get paid. It's 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 got everything you want. How how did he describe it in the first sentence here? He said it checks all the boxes: cult of personality, fraud, gambling, angels, Domino's pizza, and accounting. Yeah, you, you well, you all. wonder where like the accountants who were in the business or advising the business, where were they and all of this? that? Like an in-house bookkeeper, yeah. it looks like. But yeah. It's worth watching. You can knock it out in one night. It's four, four episodes. There's just, uh, this is, I think I even tweeted while I was watching. I was like, here's a pro pro tip never wire transfer money to anybody. <laughs> like, it's, it, nothing good ever comes out of this. Like, you will be on a documentary if you start wire transferring money to people. Just, yeah. Uh, well, uh, hey, you know, I think we've gotten to the app portion. Ran- well, I think it's too late for that. We'll have to save oh, it. But more random. I, I got random stuff. Here's a headline. Pizza accountant to pay $2 million for insider trading. A former accountant at pizza giant Domino's Pizza has agreed to pay almost $2 million to settle allegations of insider trading at the Securities and Exchange Commission, or from the Securities and Exchange Commission. Uh, Between 2015 to 2020, Bernard L. Compton traded ahead of a dozen Domino's earnings announcements based on confidential information he acquired while working as an accountant in the company's corporate office. He tried to hide it by spreading the trades across a number of different brokerage accounts that belonged to himself and various members of his family. And he made almost a million dollars doing it. And I guess word of warning to folks who are thinking about doing insider trading, the SEC knows how to find this stuff because they use analytical software to find suspicious trades and then trace them back to the owners. And even if you use friends and family, they will find you. Yeah, because like, there's like historical volume and unless there's a reason, yeah. Yeah, I mean- they The can, same thing happens with gambling. They can spot, like why is this yeah, one basketball casinos, game getting a bunch of bets? It's casinos not- c- catch cheaters, right? Yeah, exactly. So interestingly, Compton, he doesn't have to admit or deny the allegations. He's not admitting guilt. He just has to pay $1.9 million and he agreed not to practice before the SEC as an accountant or participate in the financial reporting or auditing of public companies, but he's not going to jail. Like, why don't we send people to jail for insider trading? I mean, this seems like a slam we dunk did. We case. Sent, we sent uh, Martha Stewart away yeah, for but we $1,800 not sending, or whatever We're not sending the, the pizza accountant? <laughs> yeah. 18, yeah. Like, what, Eight, the, what the heck? Martha Stewart went away for what, 1800 bucks, 2400 bucks. <laughs> I mean, I guess, you know, like his life is ruined in some sense in that he can't practice. I mean- he can't work for a public company anymore and he's going to owe all this money, but, but still like, it seems kind of like he got away. I mean, the penalty doesn't seem like it, it is discouraged, going to discourage other insider traders. You know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, cause you can, you kind of get off with a slap on the wrist and then you go on the talk circuit and you make hundreds of thousand dollars speaking at accounting conferences about how you committed crimes and you, I mean, and this is the problem too. Like, uh, you know, I was listening to uh, Oh My Fraud and Francine McKenna, the, one of the latest episodes of Oh My Fraud is an interview with Francine McKenna who follows the SEC and public 
auditors and all this stuff. And one of her big points was that like the SEC doesn't really do a great job of enforcing the rules and bad actors are, it's very easy for them to come back and start new businesses and commit fraud and, and do it over and over and over again because the penalties like are not that bad. So you, you do it once you get caught. Now you go back and you try not to get caught the next time, you know, like it's nuts. And she had a really good point in an article in, um, I forget where it was, but I was reading it in, um, about Elon Musk. She basically said like, Elon Musk should never have been allowed to buy Twitter because the SEC should have stopped him a long time ago when he tweeted about to taking Tesla, Tesla private. private at 420. Because that was a clear violation. And they could have, if they'd wanted to, they could have stopped him from ever, you know, from being the director of a public company or CEO. Like they could have done it. And they they didn't have the guts to do it. And now he's buying Twitter. And I think it's it's just a giant F you to the SEC. That's what he's doing. Yeah. You know, this is a bigger play, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Twitter drama, um, we could. Th- I'm going to look more into this article for next week. But Stripe is getting into the bank feeds game. They're going to partner with Finicity, uh, Finicity, right? Fin- I don't know. No, Finicity, Finicity, who actually recently announced they're partnering with Intuit on some of their bank feed stuff. And Plaid's lost their mind because Plaid's like you did due diligence with us four or five years ago, and. Blah, blah, blah. So there's a little bit of drama involved and there's a little bit of Twitter spat about this. Um, but it's very obvious, like Stripe, this makes sense, right? They're, and the same, re- and the Plaid's getting into payments on the other side, right? Like no, mm-hmm. not one person's going to dominate this, but it's, uh, I need to digest it more and figure out where it's going to affect what we care about, which is bank feed data, mm-hmm. right? Getting the, into the accounting systems and, and where that, that, that falls through. The good thing is it could make it cheaper for third-party developers. To, to get data. Well, I've got one last story. Yeah. It's a really neat stat. We've heard a lot about robotic process automation in recent years and just how game-changing it is for big businesses. And, you know, UiPath and, I mean, they were doing, they were doing fantastic until recently. Uh, and then their stock price just cratered. Let's see, they're down. I think I know the article you're talking about. <laughs> I think I saw that. But yeah, down seventy five percent over the past year. But like, it was really, really hot for a long time. But I feel like it's going to come back. Are you talking about this uh, experiment that finds yes, RPA yes, is? Experiment. Yeah. yeah. So there's an experiment. Tell me what you think about this. That finds that RPA is seven hundred forty five percent faster than manual processes. So they've actually quantified this. It's an Indonesian study from the. I'm not going to try to pronounce the university. It's an Indonesian study that used UiPath software. Yeah, so specifically a UiPath UiPath tool. Funded the whole thing, and they used UiPath Studio to develop a set of RPA solutions with drag and drop features. So they built eight robots developed to process invoices for a hypothetical telecommunications company based on a major provider in that country. They then pitted these solutions against humans to see who could process an invoice the fastest from the moment the vendor sends the payment application to when they ultimately receive payments and all the steps in between. So specific tasks, record a payable, extract invoice data and store it in a payables table, send a rejection notification based on an incomplete document, make the journal entry, send an email to the tax department, prepare a transfer letter, create a postponed payment report, print a payment receipt, and prepare the cash realization report. And humans, to do all that, took two minutes and 41 seconds, which is actually like really fast if you think about it. I mean, if it's a process though that you've done over and over and over again, I could see how you could do it in two minutes and 41 yeah. seconds, I suppose. By contrast, the robots did it in 19 seconds, 745% yeah. faster, seven times faster. And the RPA produced no errors versus occasional errors from the humans. So I, I thought that was interesting. You know, we're, It's not just talk. Like you said, I wonder, yeah, who funded the study? But no, I mean, like, there's it, no doubt. Like once something is automated, right? it, it can save time. There's there's no argument on this whatsoever. Um, it's interesting though, is why UiPath, if 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 this is the the data they have, that in theory their their customers are getting those types of results, they probably could raise the prices on their software and their stock wouldn't be down. Like it makes you kind of wonder, like what's what's going on there? Why why are they not performing? from a financial standpoint, if they're truly saving all these enterprises all this time. Yeah. I really wonder, you know, 
So if you went to any enterprise and say, I'm going to make you 700% more efficient, you probably have some elbow room to charge a lot of money for that skill set. Right? So it kind of makes you wonder, is this one of those, all the enterprises went out and bought it, we're going to automate. And again, just like everything else in the real world, implementation, the time, the training, getting your staff buy-in and rolling this out is much tougher. And then people are like, maybe I don't want to renew my contract with UiPath because we haven't rolled it out yet. Maybe that's it. And, and it requires a very specific type of task to automate these, these really yep. manual tasks where like the, the better situation actually versus RPA is to just replace all these old systems with one that automates it internally. So like RPA is a stopgap. It's a way to connect disparate systems that used to require people to manually move data around and process data. But it's like, so, so that's the, that's the question is like long-term is RPA really going to be around as a big deal if we all switch to cloud-based tools where, you know, the developers just build in the automations. Yeah. But I, I feel like for big businesses, you know, they've, they've got a lot of systems. It's sort of like uh, telephone companies for a long time, right? They would just build on top of the existing infrastructure because it was too hard to rip it out. So like, that's why I still have like copper wires going into my house. I, I, I was looking at the other day, like the side, I'm like, what is, what, what is this box? on the side of my house phone wires and I, like, I opened it up and there's like, all these copper like do- doesn't somebody must have had like eight phone lines or something <laughs> at some point you know it's like all these two fax machines and you know and we we relied on that infrastructure for all the way through the era of dsl uh you know i mean m- must have been like what 80 years yeah well that's all the, that's all i've got this week david yeah, I have something about KPMG, but we can do it, push out to next week. I don't think there's any. Save it. Save it for later. We still have um, big, big firm news. So this week, this coming week, we are headed to Accounting Web in San Diego, Accounting Web Live. I'll see you we'll Monday be night. we doing those interviews. I'll see you Monday. And it's going to be really fun to see everybody. And uh, yeah. on, on the island there in San Diego, which should be fun. It's Accounting Web's first conference. So that should be interesting to see how that goes. Yeah. Yeah, I need to start booking travel for these other ones. So come see us. Like, go to Accounting Web. If Go to Scaling New Heights, go to AICPA Engage, see us at ZeroCon, see us at QuickBooks Connect, and maybe we'll some of all else. those. All those for sure. Yeah. We'll be around. All right. And, and if you want to uh, catch me online, I'm at Blake T. Oliver. Right. You can send me an email at blake at blakeoliver.com. And David, how about you? I'm just on all the socials at David Leary. Send us your voicemails if you want to like make a voice memo. Oh, that's right. Think, my we had way. two voicemails. Did we not play them? So I had two listener emails and I forgot about them. So we will get to those next week and uh, send me your other messages about anything we talk about on this show. I will talk about it on the air. Just uh, be sure to let me know if you want to stay anonymous. Otherwise, I'll use your first name. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm media now. You got to understand that. Got to protect the sources. I got to protect my sources. Yeah. All right, David. Awesome. Have a great, All right. great one. See you soon. Goodbye. Time for the classifieds. If you're looking to quickly grow a scalable, systematic seven-figure accounting firm without having to work 50 plus hours per week, check out Ryan Lozanis' online coaching membership, Future Firm Accelerate. Sign around Ryan's experience taking his cloud firm from scratch to sale so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You'll get online learning and topics that help you automate and systemize all aspects of your firm. You'll get coaching when you need help with implementation. And you'll also join a collaborative community of hundreds of other forward-thinking firm owners. For more details, head over to www.futurefirmaccelerate.com. Tired of clients not remembering to get W9s? Get W9 automates and streamlines the collection and storage of W9s. Get W9 has a QBO integration, and they have a partner program that pays 25% commissions. Get W9 plans start at only $19 a year. Visit getw9.tax today to get started. That is getw9.tax. Are you looking for a dream job in cloud accounting? We have the job for you. Advisors for Change delivers cloud accounting systems to small and medium nonprofit organizations. Join our team of friendly and collaborative nonprofit accounting professionals while working from home. Our systems associate will join our experienced systems manager to implement and support cloud accounting systems such as QBO, Bill.com, Divi, SASAN, and others. To learn more, head to our website at advisorsforchange.com slash join-our-team. That's advisorsforchange.com slash join-our-team. We'll find a link to the full position description on Indeed. 
Hey, podcast listeners, it's Blake, and I wanted to let you know about a new show I'm working on with CPA slash comedian Greg Kite and blogger slash former CPA Caleb Newquist. It's called Oh My Fraud, and it's a podcast all about financial crimes. That's right, a true crime podcast for accountants by accountants. Caleb and Greg are going to come together every couple weeks to unpack their favorite frauds and explore the circumstances, psychology, and interpersonal dynamics involved. They also fully indulge in victim-blaming the defrauded widows, orphans, infirm, and feeble-minded, because who can resist? If you fancy yourself a trusted advisor, or prefer your true crime with spreadsheets instead of corpses, listen to this show to learn what to watch out for and to keep your clients, your firm, and even yourself safe. To subscribe, go to ohmyfraud.com or search Oh My Fraud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.